Hello everyone, welcome to the fifth episode of the Season 3 Weber Podcasts podcast, a podcast written and recorded by honor students here at Weber State University. This season, we are discussing our theme of reconnecting through various topics that encompass our plan to turn our surviving world into a thriving one. My name is Jed. And my name is Charlie Ray. And today we will be addressing how we reconnect through culture. We have the honor of speaking with Terry Hughes, a strong advocate for social justice here on campus and off. She is also the president of the NAACP here at Weber State. And with that, let's jump right in. Uh, so my name is Terry Hughes. I am a sophomore at Weber State University. I'm the NAACP Youth and College um, President at Weber State University. If you don't know what NAACP is, it's the oldest civil rights organization in America. Um, I'm also the Region 1 appointee rep. So I represent a couple of other states just as an appointee on our Youth and College Youth Works Committee. Um, and pretty soon I'll be state president, hopefully. Uh, so uh, what I do in the community is a lot of civic engagement. I work with a nonprofit called Project Success Coalition, where I've been, ha- where I've had the honor of working under Betty Sawyer, um, working with some youth in Harambe Youth Council, working on the Juneteenth Committee, working with um, the Ogden NAACP, where Betty Sawyer is also the president. Um, I've worked with them during MLK, and we've done a breakfast in March. And, you know, we do a lot of just really trying to rally up the community and, and make things equitable and more um, more able to reach, you know, just more accessible uh, for our young folks in the community. Um, we do want to help, you know, everybody, a person, everybody who is a person, a person of color. Um, but our main focus that we try to focus on within the Project Success Coalition, our NAACP, is the Black community. Um, due the due to the disproportionalities that the Black community faces, we just kind of want to make things more equitable, more kind of le- levied out, if that makes sense. Um, I think it's incredibly important, especially here in Utah, yeah. with how non-diverse Utah seems to be at face level, but it definitely is important with the growing population. I think Utah's population just passed three and a half million or something like that, which that's tiny compared to other states, but it is growing. And um, I just think it's amazing just to see things continue to evolve and diverse. It's great. Can you tell us uh, about your experience as a as the president of NA NAACP? I'm sorry, it's a tongue twister. You good? So National Association for Advancement of Colored People. Mm-hmm. How is your experience as president? Um, my experience on the national side has been amazing. I've gotten so many uh, different opportunities, and again, I have to shout out Miss Betty Sawyer. I got into NAACP when I was around 19. And she was the one who introduced it to me. She has been my femtor since I was about 17 years old. So again, I have to I have to shout her out, you know, because without her, I couldn't have reached the levels that I reached with just her support. So on the national side, it's been amazing. You know, I've 
gotten so many dope opportunities. I've spoken on national panels. Um, I have been able to meet some pretty cool political officials and elected officials. And um, we've got to do some pretty dope work. Recently, we did some um, Twitter lives, kind of. They're like lives on Twitter, but you mm-hmm. can't see uh, people. And we were talking about Katanji Brown Jackson, the first black woman who's running to be in the Supreme Court. Um, and we also do things like no-knock warrants. Like right now, we're trying to ban no-knock warrants in certain states due to the deaths that have been caused due to no-knock mm. warrants. Um, voting rights, voter education, voter registration, um, student loan debt, the cancellation of student loan debt. So nationally, it's been super dope. I can say locally, it's also been pretty cool, you know, just working really close with the community members and them kind of like knowing our our chapter and knowing some of our folks. It's really dope seeing them in the community. Um, And at Weber, it's honestly been really trying just due to the fact that we are one of three black student organizations on campus. So I could say Weber has been more of a, on the Weber side, it's been more of a less pleasant, um, less pleasant interaction. Why would you say that? Uh, Just because, again, we make up less than 2% of campus's population. Mm. And I think that um, just due to everything that we've gone through in the past semester, but not only that, in the past years prior, there's never really been like a a welcoming to, you know, NAACP or BSU at, you know, Weber State University. And I can't really speak for BSU, but I can speak for NAACP when I say that it hasn't really been like an, an opening, you know, arm or open arm or welcoming. Yeah, which I find kind of <laughs> very unfortunate and interesting because I know that Ogden's population is actually relatively diverse. There's a very large Latino and I do believe black population just in Ogden itself, but Weber State's student diversity is, I mean, I don't know the official numbers, but it just seems like considering where we are, you would see a lot more diversity, which. But even still, Ogden is a very predominantly white area. That is true. Um, (laughs) We do live in Utah, it's very predominantly white. And (laughs) the numbers are, I think black students make up 1.39% of the school's population. Um, here so at Weber? Here at Weber. We 1. make up 1.93. 1.39%. 1.39. 1.39% um, <laughs> of the population. And at the U, they make up, think less. Really? Yeah. So you think that living in diverse areas, you have yeah. that diversification on your campus. Especially in Salt Lake City. It's not true. Are you guys like going into the community and trying to have more of your community come to school? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think like, too, you have to think systemically and systematically. Um, I don't think the education system in the United States was ever created for black folk. Again, referencing Board of uh, border, well, I can't talk. Brown versus <laughs> Board of Education. Uh, referencing Brown versus Board of Education and different, you know, things like that. Um, it was just never designed for us to go to, you know, schools like this and succeed in schools like this. That's, that's something that I never understood growing up mm-hmm. is about segregation and this idea that one race is superior over another. It's something that I never understood growing up. And learning about all these things that black people and everyone else besides whites have gone through just to get where they are now. 
It's amazing, and I wish they didn't have to do that. I wish, you know, it, it worked evenly for all, but I don't know. Maybe I'm not saying things correctly. <laughs> what has NAACP do, what does it do for the community now, as of right now, that you're the president? So as of right now, again, we're working on our no-knock warrants. Um, we're working with our police departments, making sure that we can pass this, this bill, because um, I believe it has to be a bill that's passed, um, for no-knock warrants to not be a thing. Um, it's kind of the same thing that we did in 2020 with the, um, what was it called? No, I think it was like no neck, no neck restraints, or something mm. like that. Um, oh, was that so after George Floyd? After George mm. Floyd, and then another young man was just killed a couple weeks ago because of a no-knock warrant. And so right now in our community, that's kind of some of the harder work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I believe all the work is hard work, oh, but definitely. that's some of the more kind of, um, I would say, strenuous work. Um, and then another piece of that strenuous work is cancellation of student loan debt. Um, we're trying to close the wealth gap, you know, that wage oh, gap. Yes within the black community. And I think that student loan debts are a hindrance to us becoming mm -hmm. financially free um, because you have young black folks who are the first in their families to go to college and they get here, they're not receiving the help that they need. So of course, they're gonna go to taking out loans, right? Especially mm -hmm. when they get to grad school um, because that's a field that's, that's truly, you know, in America, I'm, using quotations for the people that can't see me, <laughs> not designed for them, right? It is designed, but in this country, it's not seen as designed for us. So uh, we get in these fields and, and we start taking out these loans, not knowing that later on that's going to become interest. We're going to have to pay these back um, and all those different things. So it just creates that, um, not cre it creates a strain on our wealth and we can't produce the intergenerational wealth that we want to produce. So right now we're working on student loan debt. Um, and I know that specifically, I don't like for the um, youth and college branch, I don't know that we're working on this, but I do know that the Ogden branch is working with Davis District regarding um, their investigation. I know a lot of different folks are working with Davis District, but I know specifically because I'm a part of the Ogden NAACP um, that they're working with the Davis District and you know, trying to find ways to better the experience for children of color there. Mm -hmm. um, but specifically for our youth and college branch, what we're doing is just focusing on voter education, voter registration. We're focusing on um, the no-knock warrants. And we're also focusing on our students. Mm -hmm. um, I want our students to come to school and not stay here, if that makes sense. I'm going to make that make sense real quick. I don't want them to think that Weber is the end goal. Mm -hmm. I want them to come here, get what they need to get, and then go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, because I think for the past semester, um, in the past couple of years, I've been trying to fix a system. And I don't believe I can fix that system, right? I'm a drop of water in a, in a huge ocean. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, we could have 12 drops of water, but it's only going to make a ripple. I think the way to make that wave effect in the ocean is to go back and get some momentum, go back and get some power behind that. Mm -hmm. And I think that is our education. So one thing that I want to focus on heavily for our students is letting them know to 
go to these different classes. These are different majors that you can take mm-hmm. that aren't just communication, right? These are different social work, different education, different um, medical, you know, different things like that just to let them know that this is not the end goal. You know, you don't want to stay here for four or five years trying to get something, right? You want to yeah. go somewhere else. You want to branch off, right, and Definitely. then come back. Um, and try to try to fix what's broken. So yeah, that's the goal right I now. I spent two years at Snow College down in Ephraim before I came up here, and I don't really remember much of it. I was really depressed, <laughs> but I definitely understand the idea of kind of like getting the basics or getting an idea of what you want and then going further with it. I definitely think that's important and showing others that that is an option um, definitely helps. I really like how you said how you have just 12 making a ripple, but if you really want to make a wave, it's always about people that have numbers behind them, that have that passion behind them, because if we, if it's just you fighting for everyone else, but no one, they're like, oh, they're with you, but they're not really with you, they need to be more educated, they need to be in it too, because my community is the same way. And so I figure that if we all do it, we have the numbers, then we can make that wave. So I understand that completely. But what are some ways that you, that you see culture affecting people's lives here in Utah and at Weber State? Hmm, I have to think about this. Um, if we're speaking more specifically to black culture, mm-hmm. I would say that I see it affecting students at Weber State by, this is going to sound really bad, but I think it's more so of like tokenism. I think a lot of our culture um, and a lot of parts of us are um, televised, Mm -hmm. but they aren't cherished and they aren't loved, right? So our culture, I'm using my quotation marks too again, so (laughs) for people who can't see me, um, our culture is basketball football, you know, um, sports, different things like that, like using things like that instead of really assimilating the culture. I think not only is it being utilized to, um, I think it's like propaganda, Mm -hmm. but it's also like capitalizing off of the bodies of black students Hmm. and the culture of black students, but not really cherishing those black students and and finding out what we genuinely like and what we truly like and what we truly want to do but it's more so of a like um what they see on like, tv yeah like stuff. what they see on tv right because i see so many white students walking around trying to talk like us trying to dress like us you know trying to sound like us like we call it in our community black fishing right like uh-huh. they try to look like us they perm their hair and you know different things like that try to you know get that little uh black scent different things mm-hmm. like that 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 um it reminds me i watched a video very interesting about african-american vernacular english right. and i honestly had no idea but it makes sense mm-hmm. that it's a complete dialect of english with its own rules and its own creative words and i was it was this linguist on youtube he studies these things mm-hmm. and he Put it in such a way that I'm like, this makes sense and it's amazing. But it feels like if I were, I don't know, it doesn't feel like it's my place 
to really feel like I sh should learn it for myself. Mm -hmm. Like if I think I deserve to learn it or something like that, try to fit in. I don't know, I feel like that's infringing mm -hmm. on something that is definitely unique to your people, right. if that makes sense. You can always educate yourself in any matter of it. It's yeah. just mm -hmm. a culture is for somebody that's from that part. So like if mm -hmm. you want to learn about their culture, then that's way good. Yeah. Right. But it's just like you can't take on someone's culture. Definitely, for sure. You know, like learn about it, educate yourself, and then you'll get somewhere with it. Yeah. Do you think that you're educating people on campus and off campus about your culture and trying to get them to express themselves differently right, and more yeah, openly? So, right, so um, I have a different philo philosophy just because uh, I'm very unapologetically black. <laughs> and, uh, I have a different philosophy, so I believe that I am not anyone's teacher mm -hmm. and I, I advise people but I don't educate them anymore. I used to when I was younger. I was very heavy on like, I have to educate those who don't know. I have to educate those who don't know. But then I got to thinking about like, how did I learn about my culture? How did mm -hmm. I learn about black history? I didn't learn it in a class. I didn't learn it from a teacher. I learned it from Miss Betty. I learned it from Ryan Wash. I learned it from myself. I picked up books. I went on Google and just started researching things that popped into my head that had to do with blackness. So I think if I can comprehend and grasp that um, cons that concept, anyone else can, right? Definitely. So anytime someone who doesn't know something comes up to me and they're like, oh, like, can you educate me on this? I simply say no. I simply say whatever it pops in your mind about what you would like to learn, Google is free. Books are free. If the book is not free, if you spend $10 at McDonald's, you can spend $10 on a paperback copy of what you'd like to learn. Um, and then come back to me and we can have a dialect. We can have a conversation about what you learned and we can break those things down. But again, I have that. I have a different uh, philosophy when it comes to educating folks, especially when they're not black. I feel like when, when they are black, we can have that dialect because we understand that experience, right? We may not be as educated on the topic, but we have that same experience. And I think through that, we can learn from one another. But when it's someone who isn't black, they can be of color or they could just be white. I simply let them know, like, these are some great books that I think mm -hmm. you should read. These are some great um TED Talks. These are some great documentaries that I think you should watch. And from there... I tell them, contact me again. Mm -hmm. After you've watched this, after you've read this, we could have that conversation. Nine times out of ten, they don't contact me back. But um, I think it just goes to show, like, if you genuinely wanted to learn, you do it, mm -hmm. right? But if you just want to have a conversation there in the moment just to pick my brain, I'm not going to have those types of conversations. It's tiring. And if you're not paying me as much as a teacher makes, then I'm not going to teach you. <laughs> and oh, that, they don't make much. So no, um, teachers deserve to, be, if, to make if, so much more. If you're not paying me for my time and my efforts, then no, ma'am, you will not be getting educated today. I like that. I That's really wish philosophy. that um, black history was really taught more in the public because it is fascinating to know just how much of a huge impact that the black community has had. We wouldn't have our modern music at all if it weren't for black communities. Right. Um, and like, 
We wouldn't have lots of things like I know. lights. We wouldn't have electricity. Carver did like a million things with peanuts. Yeah, we wouldn't. <laughs> we wouldn't have a lot of things, and I think and that's the thing that we um, don't. We don't learn any of that in yeah. school. We barely glaze over the civil rights movement. And I think too, that's the the thing that I like to talk about when I tell people like the totality of blackness, you know, isn't just our music or our clothes or our hair. There's such a an essence about black folk, right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, um, if you try going a week without using black inventions, you wouldn't be able to survive. You wouldn't yeah. be able to use your phone. You wouldn't be able to cook. You wouldn't be able to use any type of electricity. You wouldn't be able to flush your toilet. You wouldn't be able to take a shower. Like, you wouldn't be able to do so many things. And I think um, a lot of the times we do glaze over that. We gloss over those things because I think it would have to uh, force this country to recognize that black people have been a pillar in this country for oh, decades, definitely. for centuries. Um, and and that's, a, that's a reality that a lot of folks just don't want to come to because it makes them face something within themselves. Um, and then they have to take that deep look like, why does this make me feel a kind of way? Or why does this yeah. make me? Because people don't want to be racist. They don't want to be prejudiced. But a lot of times that's what it is, hidden in your heart. And a lot of times it's subconscious because it's taught. And it's not just something that you are. It's something that you learned. Um, Think about like an enslavement. You think about, or I'm going to take it here first. If you're uh, pregnant and you are depressed, nine times out of ten, if you don't deal with that, it will be passed down to your child, right? Things like that can happen. So you think about all of the generational trauma that enslaved folks had to deal with, think about all that trauma that was passed down to their children, right? That we still, in this generation, have not dealt with. And I tell people all the time, now you think about white folks, all the trauma, and I know a lot of people do not like to recognize that white folks dealt with trauma, but seeing somebody be burnt alive at five years old Mm -hmm. is traumatic. And a lot of the times when you are dealing with folks who are ignorant, it's just something that they've learned and that they haven't unpacked. It's something that they've seen throughout generations, throughout generations. We have something in the black community called PTSD, post-traumatic slave disorder. Mm. We still emotionally, psychologically feel the things that our ancestors felt. And if we still are feeling those things, you can only imagine what people who've been taught to hate are feeling, right? So I think that's a that's a big thing that we have to realize as well is that that's why a lot of things aren't discussed in this country. I think especially at this school. That's why systemic racism and systemic oppression are not discussed the way that they need to because then people have to take that look within themselves and say, wow, I did that, mm-hmm. right? I didn't do it consciously. I did it subconsciously. That's something that was just in me because it was taught to me, and I never unpacked that. Yes. Right. It could be something as small as a conversation a child hurt their parents have and it stayed with them for the rest of their lives. So I think, you know, we have to realize that psychological, that emotional, that um, mental um, things that come into play when we're talking about racism. And yeah, for sure. When we're talking about prejudice, all those different things. For sure. And what are there some ways that you see culture affecting your life and like how you reconnected with your culture, how it affected you. Because I've heard you go over it a little bit, how you right. researched on your own right. and you went out and did your own research and you came up with all of this information. Right. How do you think that reconnected you back to your culture? Right. Um, yeah, so growing up in California, 
I grew up around so many different cultures. Um, so when I moved here, I think I was forced to look at my blackness, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm a black person, but blackness and being black are two different things. <laughs> so I had to look at my blackness. I had to look at the things that I would go through as a young black girl. And um, I remember my first book ever that I had read was about the first black female poet and her name was Phyllis Wheatley. And I remember reading this book, and I, I knew about slavery when I was younger. I moved to Utah when I was 13. And um, i from Long Beach, California. You know, they talked about slavery, you know, things like that. But when I read this book, the, the thing that sticks with me still to this day is Phyllis was on the slave ship with her mother. And this is a true story. She's on the slave ship with her mother, and her mother is being thrown overboard because she's sick. And Phyllis is holding on to her hands, and her mom tells her, let go. So her mom's holding on, right? And this is going to be kind of gruesome, but in the book it says that the um, the ship owner goes and chops her mom's hands off so that she would fall. And this little girl, who's probably around 12 years old, I believe the book said, states she watched all of it happen. And from that point on, I was like, I have to know more. I got to know more. I have to know more than just slavery, right? And at the time that I was 13, um, was just after, I believe it was just after Trayvon Martin. Um, and after Trayvon Martin, I, I was watching that case, and then I started learning about the Mike Browns, the Tamir Rices, the Oscar Grants, um, the Philando Castiles, the, the Eric Garners, um, I started learning about all this stuff, and I was like, whoa. And and to tie it all together, it breaks my heart because tragedy is what brought me close to my culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's often the story for black people so many times. That's what brings them to the movement is someone dying. Um, and I think that's the tragic reality that a lot of black folk have to face is that if I want to learn about this, something had had to happen because we some of us are shielded from our from from that side, right? Yes. Yeah. And and uh for me, just the the type of household that I lived in, it was never a political household, you know. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about politics, we didn't talk about the civil rights movement. We didn't talk about any of this stuff growing up, right? It wasn't until I um met Miss Betty Sawyer that I started to learn R Betty Sawyer and Ryan Walsh, I started to learn more in depth. But um yeah, when I was younger, what, what drew me so close to my culture was learning about kids who were my age and that were dying. And I was like, what? And like, who is doing this? And what? where does all this stem from? And then I started learning about the uh, the civil rights movement and everything that was happening in the civil rights movement. And, you know, then I started learning about before enslavement and I started learning about the dynasties and the, the emperors and the kings and the queens that were in Africa. And, and then I learned that Africa was not even the original name of Africa. I learned that it was originally called Al-Kabulan. So I started researching all this stuff. And it was such a beautiful history, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know, it just... I just got engulfed, and, and now I'm like, <laughs> I want um, to study um, African-American studies for my master's. Mm. So, but yeah, that's what really brought me to my culture is like 
learning about all of that stuff. Do you think you reconnected with yourself while doing that? Like you found a new you? Yeah, I, I definitely did. And that didn't come until I was around, I want to say 17. Mm -hmm. That's when I really kind of got into this activism work. I started when I was around 13. But when I was around 16 or 17, that's when I got very serious and wanted to learn how to do more. So That's very, that's, I love that. Like, you, you make me want to do all the research in my culture, too, because I feel like I haven't really got that far. Yeah. And it doesn't matter about age. You just got to learn when you learn. Yeah. I mean, my culture is strictly LDS, going back to, like, the first wagon train. My ancestors were on the first wagon train that came out to Utah. Um, so I don't really have a lot of knowledge and experience when it comes to, I guess, learning and understanding of black culture and how my heritage worked with that kind of culture. So that's definitely something I need to learn. And I suppose I want to ask, what can someone like me with white background completely, what can I do to learn more and help uh, you and the NAACP and things like that? Right, yeah. So like I said earlier, there are dope books, mm -hmm. dope documentaries. Um, I would say for the NAACP side, you can join NAACP. It's, okay. If you're a youth, it's $15 a year. Mm -hmm. um, and What qualifies is, as a youth? <laughs> yeah, so youth is anywhere from, I want to say, 12 to 25. So, Shoot, I'm going to hit 25 quite soon then. That's all right. <laughs> but you can still be, you can still be, yeah. there's an adult chapter. Um, it's only $30 a year. So, yeah. Oh, man, uh, that's out of my budget. <laughs> but um, for the learning aspect of it, like I said, I think the biggest thing for you to do is, is look up the, like, what are the questions in your head and then research those questions, right? No matter what those questions are, um, just research them and, and let them take you right and and one thing that i would say is is don't be afraid of what you'll find down the wikipedia right? rabbit yes. hole don't don't be afraid of what you'll find because i think a lot of the times there's um something that we've even discussed like within our community there's something called white guilt right yeah i think a lot of white folks start to feel guilty about what their ancestry did and or what their ancestors did sorry and i think that's why i say don't be afraid of what you find right mm -hmm. and don't be ashamed of yourself because of what you find, right? Yeah. Because again, these are things that are taught to folks. No one's born evil, no one's born racist, Definitely. no one's born prejudiced. These are things that are taught and learned. So I think, you know, whatever you find, because it is a, a very gruesome history, um, especially when you find out what the Europeans did to folks. Oh, yeah. um, it's very gruesome, very, very gruesome history. Things that I never could have thought that were even imaginably possible to do to a person, I learned that European folks did to um, black folks. And it made me very angry when I was younger, right? I mm -hmm. used to be prejudiced against white people I was, right? Mm -hmm. And it was because I was so angry about the things that they would do. Like, the, like they boiling someone alive, like oh, yeah. chopping off their body parts, like who? does that right Japanese so did it to the I, Chinese and I would just II. say 
even though that's not the discussion right now. <laughs> Sorry. That's a discussion am, for another day. I have ADHD. My um, brain goes everywhere at you're once. You're fine. <laughs> but I would say for you, just just don't be afraid of what you find. Yeah, definitely. No, I literally have done research like that, and it, it traumatized me, and I had to take a step back because I'm just like, how do you do that to a person? And it makes me very emotional towards people, too, and I'm just like, okay, got to step back. We learn that it's just in the past. We're making a new future, and that's hopefully... Like, it's still going around some places behind closed doors. You don't know what's going on. So you just got to keep fighting for what you love and do what you got to do. I feel that, though. Uh, But what advice would you give anyone who would like to get more involved in their culture or other cultures? I would say, like, more, like, for your community. Mm -hmm. Like, what can they do to get into their culture? Because Utah... If you, I would give people advice, like get out of Utah. Like if you've only right. been in Utah, yeah, get out of Utah sure. for yeah. sure. Because this, it's a bubble. It's definitely a bubble, a whole new yeah. world of just yeah. so much segregation. It's different states, different countries. It's just so much better. There's more diversity throughout. Yeah. But like, how would you say in Utah, how would they get closer to your culture instead of just reading books and stuff? Is there places right. to go? Is there people to meet? Right. Like, how would they go about that? So, uh, if there are any young black students listening, uh, we'll start there first. If you are listening right now and you are not involved, you want to find more ways to get involved, um, what I did, I just showed up to anything black. Mm -hmm. I didn't care what it was. I didn't care if it was a black book reading. I didn't care if if it had black. In it, I went, especially if it was for black people. Um, there's a festival called Juneteenth that happens every summer here. Go to that network. There's something here called Expect the Great for black students. It was virtual this year, but um, it's a conference for BSUs in college, um, NAACPs. We have a Salt Lake chapter. We have an Ogden chapter. Um, and now we have our Weber State chapter. Um, we have... Uh, what else churches out here you know like I know that's one thing that black folk we do connect on is our spirituality we Mm -hmm. have so many churches out here Um, hair shops going to different hair shops Um, talking to the hair ladies talking to you know about just getting yourself around that representation Um, one place that I really like is Hair Haven Um, another church that I go to Second Baptist um, NAACP, if you need to, contact me, and we can, you know, get that going. But my biggest advice to you, if you're black and you are in Utah and you want to stay in Utah, I would say definitely, definitely, definitely try to find anything black, anything. I mean, there's a, even a Facebook site called Black at Utah or Black Utah, something like that. Like, mm. get involved, get into these things, talk to different people, um, and go to as many things as you can, especially if you plan to stay here. If you don't plan to stay here, yeah, just get out. <laughs> just, just We leave. got nice national parks. Um, <laughs> do you think that would benefit your community, like if they got more involved too? Yeah, most definitely. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it would because I think we would, you know, be able to all work together and make that stronger uh, united front. Um, so, yeah, I definitely do. And I think just for those who aren't black and want to get involved, I would say don't be afraid. You know, I think a lot of times folks who aren't black get scared to get in these spaces because mm-hmm. they don't want to say the wrong thing or they don't want to do the wrong thing. That's me. I would just say as long as you're respectful, as long as you are not overstepping your bounds, as long as you're not trying to 
take over the movement and you're you just wanting to be an ally mm-hmm. then do that right educate yourself you know what i'm saying like if you've educated yourself on these things have those conversations with people don't ask them to educate you but have those conversations on what you've learned mm-hmm. and if there's room to be corrected be corrected um so i think just getting in those spaces and not fearing the outcome like I said, as long as there's respect and as long as you're not overstepping bounds and crossing boundaries, you should be fine. Um, and lastly, I will say this uh, for if there are any black students who listen to this podcast, I do know that there is something called the National Student um, National Student something. It's like a what is the word I'm looking for? It's not engagement. It's like transfer or something like that, national student transfer. But I do know that they are connected to HBCUs here. So at Weber State, you can go to another school for a a whole academic year, and they do have HBCUs. So if you want an HBCU experience for the price of Weber, go to the, what is that one office? Is it the study abroad? Study abroad, yes. HBCU. HBCU, what is that? Historically black colleges and universities. Oh, okay. So, yeah, go to the study abroad. Um, that's just a little tip for y'all if you're listening. And, yeah, that's, that's There's that. There's also another tip about study abroad is, like, as long as your tuition is paid for that semester, you could go travel study abroad anywhere that you would like and go to any school that you prefer. Like she was saying, the HB- HBCUs. HBCUs would be a great, great step forward. I thought about studying abroad, but... Life had different plans. <laughs> Can you share any future plans that you have after graduation? And would you want to be involved with Weber State after? <laughs> oh, man. So after graduation, I am planning on going to an HBCU. Um, planning on doing half my bachelor's there. Um, I want to do all my bachelor's there. I'm going to see if I can. But um, I am planning on running for some political positions um, basically just trying to start my career as a yeah. politician and um, I'll be doing some paralegal work as well so I'm actually changing my major into law so I do want to come back to Weber and help mm-hmm. but not to help Weber now, that makes sense I know I completely understand <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I want I want to help my community I want to yeah. change the narrative of Weber mm-hmm. State University um, I want to make it equitable, right, for the demographic of folk, right? Yes. So, of course, there's only 1.39% of us. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we have resources for that 1.39%, right? It's yes. only 1.39%. You would think that with 1.39%, the school would have enough money and resources to for appease sure. that. But ra- they'd rather do 13 14 to 15%, which means more money, more people, but I don't know how that makes any sense to the institution, but it does. So um, I want to change that narrative of if there is this small group of people, why don't we give them a a pool of resources, right? To make it bigger. To make it bigger. Mm -hmm. And then things will be more scaled out instead of helping, like I said, that disproportionality will help this big old group, but we're going to leave this group to suffer mm-hmm. that's a dispro- that's disproportionate and black students are failing classes like i can say for myself just doing all the work that i've done at weber i failed classes mental health down the toilet i know mm-hmm. other students who have literally had to drop out because they could not like redeem themselves academically and weber state offered little to no help 
right? Yes. After knowing about protests and knowing about sit-ins and knowing about different things of that sort, they offered little to no help for these students to succeed. So it was just all, again, a capitalization of being in the standard examiner and then these students fail classes. So yeah, I wanna, I wanna change that narrative. Yeah, that's really good. I see your. I really like your future plans, because I've always wanted to go into law just to help my community as well yeah. and my family. But is there anything else you would like to add for us to know, most and most for the people to know too? Most deaf, most deaf. Um, lastly, I would just like to say thank y'all so much for having me. Um, thank y'all so much for listening to me. Yeah. Um, I want to say thank you so much to every black student that is at Weber State University. You are surviving. Um, I want to let you know that everything you feel, everything you see, everything you touch is excellent. Um, and I also want to let you know that you are not crazy. If you are experiencing microaggressive behaviors, if you're experiencing racism, prejudice, any type of ism, sexism, ageism, if you are experiencing that at the hands of your skin color, you are not crazy. Um, don't feel like you're crazy. Don't feel like you're delusional. Don't feel like it's your fault. Keep your head up. Find some community to get around. Um, I would love to be your community. Find me on campus. Um, and again, just stay encouraged. Um, and yeah, I love y'all so much. And I just, I'm here for my black students. And <laughs> I want you to know that your body is not a commodity um, and that you deserve to be here. Uh, so that's all I have to say there, and yeah. Thank you so much for coming, Terry. Thank you. That was it's amazing. Been great. I really love listening to everything that you had to share, and I love how this podcast is going to be out there forever. <laughs> and it's like you're living here forever. Like this whole thing right now. Yeah. You are gonna. I think it's gonna. I think when people and students hear it, they're gonna be opened up to a whole different world, yeah. and you're probably giving courage to a lot of other future students that are coming. Right. I mean, I, I know I didn't <laughs> fully like participate probably as much as I wanted to, but I really did enjoy learning about uh, so many things because these things, I mean, naturally, I just don't learn these. But, yeah. but just, I don't know, gaining knowledge is great, and I love learning how to help others. Again, we would like to give a huge thank you to Terry Hughes for donating her time and giving us such great input on how to reconnect through her culture. We value the insight that she has shared with us today, and we hope you feel inspired to get involved and reconnect with not only others, but with your own culture. Be sure to tune into our next episode anywhere podcasts are available. Make sure to follow us on our social media at weber.podcasts for future announcements, release dates, and more. Have a great day and keep on thriving. Bye. Bye.